This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Hi, listeners. Lovely to be with you again. And so here we are in the middle of November and moving towards December. Mm, not just moving, rushing towards December, yes, rushing towards yes. the end of the year. Right, right. And still busy with this month's theme that says, God can, I can't. Mm. And today we're going to talk to Megan Krauts from the CID, and I'm sure she can testify to this part with many of her clients that find with addictions, we cannot do it by ourselves, right? Mm. It has a spiritual component. It doesn't matter how hard we try Mm. to stop it by ourselves. It's only when we really surrender. And that's why it's a spiritual journey, right? Spiritual journey. And and that's why the the steps are worked out in the way they are, the 12 steps. And the first step is, I can't. Mm, I'm powerless, right? Yeah, I'm powerless. My and, life is unmanageable. Mm. And the second step is? I turn towards God because yes. he's the one that can, restore, the, that can help me with my insanity. Because often if we do keep on doing the same thing over and over again and we expect different e- results, then mm. it's a little bit insane, even though we don't think so, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Megan, mm. we are so glad that you are with us and uh, listeners. Uh, I'm sure Megan is going to have a great conversation. Uh, Hi, Megan. Say hi to our listeners. Hi. Hi, listeners. Oh, Megan, it's lovely to talk to you. Tell us about the CID because, you know, very soon it's going to be Christmas time and it's party time. So I'm sure people who don't know about it and family members and friends that are listening might be in need of this very, very soon. So tell us more about what does the CID stand for? Yes, so um, especially with the Christmas thing, it's very difficult for our clients to be going through that season. So Mm -hmm. I work in an organization called Christian Action for Dependence, CAD. Mm -hmm. Um, It was an organization established late 1900s, 1976, but only support groups existed then. So um, it was just leaders who took on support groups for people who needed support as an addict. Later on, CAD brought in social workers. It's where we came, and they had an established partnership with the Department of Social Development. More professionals if you needed more professional help, basically. Mm. So what we're about is that we just we need to ensure that the substance-dependent individual refrains from using the substances that mm. they so heavily depend on. That is that, our main objective. That, yeah, Not only that... Yes. I mean, that's to get sober, uh, to stop yes, using. Yes, yes. Mm, mm. mm-hmm. Stop using, yes. Um, and not only that, we don't only help them as the addicts, we also help their family members because mm, we know that they have important. been through just mm. as much of a, a traumatic experience with them. So we offer our support services. We, as social workers, do the individual counseling with them. We offer our aftercare treatments if they come out of rehabs, and we have a lot of established support groups all over. Where do you have all over the country? Well, it's mainly Western Cape and Free State Kruenstad. Mm-hmm. I'm not really involved with Kruenstad side, but yeah, in the Western Cape, definitely, but more Cape Town based. So we have a few in Kells River, we have in Strand, we have in. Um, Fuleni. We also work through shelters 
Girls River, Somerset West shelters. Mm. Um, and we have these groups at Rehabs as well, mm. at Ramot, Yeskis King, and Kensington Treatment Center in Cape Town. Wow. Mm. And we also go for also one in Paul and as far as Oatswaran. Are you guys open to go to other parts of the country as well, or do you may mostly focus in the Cape? We mainly focus in the Western Cape, but it's not that we're going to cut off um, the possibility of having groups in other provinces. Like if there's a strong person there who's willing to go out to the community, um, try and help others, then we can work telephonically where we would offer him or guidance as to how to start a group and then it would just fall under CAD's name. Mm. Yeah. So, um, Megan, I want to hear... Now in preparation for this season, because it actually already started. Hey? When people go to parties, Frederick and I were just, uh, 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 last week we were talking, no, in, in another program, we were talking about um, the fact that Christmas can be such a, a difficult time. And even our, our fathers, both mm. our fathers were alcoholics. And we remember that um, over Christmas time with the work parties, you know, your dad goes there and you know he's going to get drunk and, and all that. So mm-hmm. what can people do in preparation for this time um, to get ready um, for for this time of the year? What would you advise? Maybe also friends and family because you say they are the ones that know what's going to happen and they get nervous about yeah. it and they get worried about it. So do you have any any tips or any thoughts to that you could share? With those struggling with substances, I would really urge them to seek help. I know it's difficult also because a lot of people don't want to admit that they have a problem, but there is help available throughout the season. Um, our offices are especially quiet during the festive season because of this very reason. But we encourage them to come and see us. We offer the counselling just to check up also. Not only that, if you know you're struggling, um, have someone that you trust, like close to you, keep in contact with them, let them know, you know, you're struggling now, you need that support, you mm. need to just get away, even if it means going out to walk in the park or anything like yeah. that, yeah. it helps, any small thing helps. And with family members um, having this issue with someone that they know using, it's also important to just keep calm because, you know, going on over... You, there's a lot of instances where family members are accusing them of basically using and being like, oh, yeah, you're probably on the drugs again. You're probably using alcohol again. That is not going to help at all. Mm-hmm. Like communication for family members, living with an addict is very important. Like mm-hmm. people would think it's only the addict that needs the help, um, that needs to change. But the way that you communicate it to this person also needs to change, mm-hmm. which is also important in that season. Yes. You need to be there for that person, not accuse them, like offer support. Mm. Because often that is what actually triggers them, right? It triggers the shame yeah. and it actually puts them right down that spiral again to that downward spiral. Mm. Yes, yes. Um, also with our, I do group sessions at the one GRB in um, Salonbosch, Heskis King, and I work with the youth. A lot of them are really scared of going home because of the way they are going to be treated by their parents again because they know the way they were treated previously was when they were on the substances and they don't want that treatment again because mm. they want to prove to their parents that they have changed. Mm. But it's difficult when um, your parents or your family member still doesn't know how to communicate to you now that you're sober, which really sets them back a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I can totally identify with that. Uh, you know, we were out of South Africa 
for about 11 years. And uh, when we came back, people started treating us the same way they treated us 10 or 11 years ago. And as, as if there was nothing that changed in our lives. And very yeah. often that was very triggering. Um, and because I had suffered from sexual addiction, um, that triggered my, my character defects and uh, that eventually went uh, into an addiction. Yeah. So, yes. Megan, can you uh, help us now? Because what about these moms now that are really worried? Their children, they, let's say my son just went in for rehab and he came back and he just come back. So how should I treat him then? Because maybe I am really nervous that something that he's using because they lie. So what, 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 what would you suggest? What would be helpful? Yeah, so when you get... Say, for instance, your child into rehab, there must be a social worker to refer you. And usually when that treatment is done, you return to the social worker for aftercare and just to make that reintegration um, back into the household and community much easier. That's why it is so important to just go back to your social worker because people always think that the treatment stops there. I've also seen it with my clients where we refer the kids and then their mothers think the treatment stops there or parents mm. think the treatment stops mm. there. Then later on, they come back and they say the child relapsed like the rehab didn't fix them. And we always say the rehab is not, uh, it's it's not a quick fix. That's mm -hmm. the easiest part of this whole um, process. You need to return back and just, you need a third party, basically. Mm -hmm. Someone who can listen to both sides without being biased. Mm -hmm. And that's what's very important. Also, if you, if you are now in that situation, um, just to make the the living situation more comfortable, what's all what we also encourage parents to do is with their kids move around the room things, um, encourage more conversation, invite them out, take them out to places, you know, because they would get home and then there's nothing for them to do as well. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, also the responsibility to also make sure that there's something to do. You know, there are rules. Um, place those rules and just. Let them know that you are there to just listen to. Mm -hmm. they, they are going to feel alone, which is which is not a good thing also. Right. right. So just a more friendly type of um, approach to them also. Megan, let's take a break quickly and then you tell us more about this after the break. Mm. Welcome back, listeners. Um, just before the break, we were talking about um, what happens to somebody that has been at rehab and how can they be helped after they've come out of rehab? And I often say rehab is just like the starting blocks for the rest of your recovery and restoration mm. um, because we cannot do this and maintain it alone. So, uh, Megan, I'd also like to know um, who are the people that you are able to help? What type of people are so, they? So we help are mainly... Well, only um, people using alcohol and drugs. Mm -hmm. We also help the family members, as we've said, that mm -hmm. they've also been through a dramatic experience. So we try and work with both to see how we can work out um, a better living situation, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So both those kind of pe any people struggling with any kind of substance addictions can come to you guys. So what kind of therapy yes. methods do you use? So currently, we 
I can't say that we stick to one specifically because there are a few that we just throw around here and there. It just depends on the situation. But what I can say is that there are three main ones. The first would be psychosocial therapy. Mm-hmm. So it just involves a lot of questions that we ask the clients. Um, and we psychosocial psycho is psychology, psychological questions. What's going on in their minds? What do they feel? Those type of things. Then we ask social questions about the living situations, the environment where they are um, living in the community, the school life, all those things. Mm. We try and put that together, see how the two relate, see what is affecting the one, mm. social, how is it affecting you psychologically, and we work out a treatment plan like that with the client. Mm. But a lot of the time, the psychosocial therapy leads us to using a different therapy. That's why I said it all just relates. So then I would go on to something called narrative therapy, which mm-hmm. is the one that I always will use most of the time. This is like storytelling, um, except for you see a problem, you have a problem with the client. Now you try and separate the person from the problem because a lot of times the client thinks that they are the problem, but they don't realize that the problem is separate from them. Mm-hmm. Because if one is the problem, how are you going to solve yourself? You need to see the problem as separate from you. Then mm. you can work with the problem. Mm. It's like you label an object the problem. Then you, you can just work better if you if you separate yourself from the problem. And and that, and then that, another one, uh, Megan, that happens while they are telling their own story, and and that is what yes. the narrative is. Uh, somebody is just telling their own story, and they're hearing yes. their own voice telling their own story, mm. and that is how one can identify. Yeah. Mm. Uh, where is he stuck and, and what are the things yeah. that he needs to the person, be working through? The person already getting some distance from the story mm. as they tell yes. it, right? Yes, exactly. And we let them write that story down. The writing is a big thing in this narrative therapy. Mm. And we allow them to change their own narrative. Mm. We yeah. let them see the problem and we let them rewrite their own story. Mm. Mm. Another therapy that we use also is solution-focused therapy. Mm. So this is especially used with those coming out of rehab. So with solution-focused therapy, we leave the problem. We only focus on the solutions now. Mm. Because you've been through rehab, that's where you focused on the the problem. Mm. So the problem was already addressed at the rehab, and we all just want to move forward now and focus on solutions. Mm. I Mm. think that is super, super important, uh, Megan, because when they return home or they return to their families of origin, everybody still remembers the active addict addict. someone that lies, that steals, whatever, all of those misbehaviors and dysfunctions, that is still how they see them. And so it's so, so important uh, to, to help even the family to focus away from the problem and start working at the solution. Yes, exactly. That's why we also ask for family members to come in because then we work together as um, you can't be throwing the problem in the person's face all the time if mm. our focus is solutions Mm. and then apart from solution what else do you do and then there's a model that we use also especially for those who are not um, ready to go to rehab or we offer them the counseling it's called the model of change Um, so there are how many six stages to this Um, but 
it's where you start and where you're not really certain whether you do have the problem yet. Mm. So you call that the pre-contemplation stage. Mm. You are unaware that the problem is. You're still in denial, basically. This is where we work through to get you to a point where you can actually admit the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, or like you you acknowledge that the problem is there, which is contemplation stage. You're still on the fence about it. Do you, find, do you find that people keep coming back in those situations? Don't they just come once or twice and say, no, I don't have the problem? How do you get them to keep coming back? Yes, that is something that we also struggle with these um, one visit, only one visit, and then they don't return. But... It's, they see it themselves. That's why we can't also force any help, but they see themselves that they are getting worse. Um, mm. We don't really need to tell them because especially with the people that they live, those people make sure that they that these people know that there is a problem. Yeah. It gets to a point where you just hit, uh, you just get to a point where there's no return and then your last hope is to seek out help. Mm. Mm. I think so, that, is, yeah. that is at the point where we're at our wit's end. There's a crisis yes, and we yes. just cannot do it anymore. And that is the point that we are talking a bit about is I can't. Mm. I can't help myself. Mm. I can't mm. solve this problem. Mm. I can't, if you have a shame, I can't help myself. Mm. Um, I'm just a yes. bad person. Mm. But that mm. bring, that is a beautiful door, the gift of desperation, mm. the AA say, mm. Mm. where you reach out for help. Yes, Megan. Yes, and, yes. and I want to know then how, where does the spiritual part come in? Because now we're talking a lot about all the psychological parts, but tell me about the spiritual part. Okay, with the, the spiritual part, that is especially in one of the therapies, um, with the psychosocial, we also we mm. also take the spiritual part into consideration. We it is important for us to find out where they are at, um, with their beliefs in their faith, whether they attend church regularly, whether they have a relationship with God. Mm. Um, usually, it's that's not the case. We, mm. They just tell us that they are not at that point mm. where they are strong in their faith, um, which is also a bit difficult to us for us because. We can also only do so much, mm-hmm. um, but we do encourage. We do encourage that they need to get into. Um, they just need to get into touch with their with their faith because that's that that is a big step mm-hmm. in in preparing yourself for for help after the contemplation stage. As I mentioned, where they're unsure, then you get the preparation stage, and only realizing that you know you do have a problem, mm. then you can only prepare yourself to be helped. Right. And that is also where we look at it holistically, and that's also where the spiritual factor comes in. But can, that is also a factor that we, we do struggle with with our clients. Absolutely. You know, we spoke to so many people uh, also on this program. I mean, we do a lot of interviews. Um, people that had gone through addiction that spoke to that told us that it only got better when they realized uh, they couldn't do it themselves, when they realized only yes. God could help them. Yeah. Um, but but yes. it takes a while to get there, hey, because I think a person tries to fix the problem by yourself. And then if you yeah. can't do it, then maybe you try and get help from psychological ways. And that's helpful. But maybe you really need to get to a place to say, but I can't do this. Only God can help me. Yeah, mm. I, I've also seen the difference between a believer trying to fight her addiction versus a non-believer, someone who's not in touch with their faith. Mm. Like I spoke to 
one of my clients who was very strong believer and she speaks highly of God and the plan that he has for her and that she believes that God wouldn't have given her the battle if she could not overcome it. Mm. Um, she speaks mm. with passion and dedication despite um, the exhaustion. You can see how exhausted she is, but she still speaks so highly. Um, and that in relation to compared to someone who wasn't in touch with their faith, whenever I asked that one client about his addiction, his answers would all, always be, I don't know. There's no mm. motivation to change. Mm. He's just looking for help because his family member said so. And that was a big thing for me to take note of. Mm. Megan, I am so glad that we have another time when we're going to speak because um, we're going to continue next week. And listeners, please be sure to tune in again. Megan is going to give us more valuable tips and very practical help um, next week. And I think next week um, it would be good if we could speak a little bit about drugs more and tick, which we know is a big problem in um, in the Western yes. Cape as well. So listeners, be sure to tune in. Um, maybe you can give us the podcast um, um, for people that want to listen to the yeah, podcast, just, Frederick. Just before I do that, Suki, so some of the listeners may have been expecting an Emma to speak to us. Oh, right. And uh, because right. we mentioned that in our in our introduction uh, episode, exactly, um, Emma was not able to make it. And so we were so glad that yeah. uh, Megan was able to stand in for Thank her. Thank you, Megan. And Megan is doing oh. this now. Emma is not doing this anymore longer so yeah thank you for yes. remembering that frederick so we promised that um that emma would be talking to us for the next two times but yeah now it ended up being megan, megan so yeah. but megan thank you so much we're very um thankful for your expertise and we will talk more next time god bless and yeah, okay, listen, thank yeah, you. yeah listeners get to the podcast and um Download the podcasts at www.kpulpa.co.za forward slash podcasts forward slash into me see. Mm. Um, we talk about intimacy with God, others, and ourselves. See you next time. This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.